the the young people who are watching this in high school right now who just watched you know the second top gun movie and have that same drive to do something like we saw the 1980s when we watched the 1986 top gun you know i want to be that guy i want to fly those machines you know they go to their high school guidance counselor they may they probably don't even have accurate information to give these people which is what this podcast is all about yeah what i mean what what was your high school i'm in high school i want to be a fighter pilot what do i need to do Hi, welcome to the Pro Pilot Playbook Podcast, where we give you the tips, tricks, and hacks to become pilots faster and cheaper. We've got an exciting episode today that we've been working on for, oh, I don't know, several months. We've even hinted on it uh, in other podcasts that this was coming, but uh, we've got a really, really special guest today. Uh, I know that the dream of flying for most of you, a lot of it starts when you see your first fighter jet as a child, and uh, (laughs) I think or you've seen the movie Top Gun or whatever it is. But uh, I would say, I mean, I'm throwing a, a gut out number out, but 90% of all pilots get their start in dreaming to fly by thinking of flying fighters. And today we've got a real live uh, F-16 pilot on the podcast. Excited to talk to him. Sean, you put this together, so introduce Aaron for us. Yeah, yeah. We have with us today Major Aaron Warner out of the South Dakota Air National Guard, F-16 pilot, F-16 flight instructor. Uh, Aaron and I have known each other for a few years now. Uh, Aaron is unique in the fact that not only does he was flying F-16s, but was also doing the same kind of job that Mike and I do as a guardist, a a guard or reservist. You know, you are... uh, you're doing that part-time so he was also managing and flying corporate jets and when he wasn't available i would come up and fly his jet on a contract basis this happens a lot in the corporate world but uh aaron aaron is going to be able to provide a unique perspective on to any of you out there that are thinking about going the military route and uh we're very happy to have him on with us today and and mike you're uh, real quick before I forget to say anything, you're right that 90% of the people probably got into this racket <laughs> after, <laughs> after the, not just seeing the fighter jet, but when you go to an air show, oh, yeah. able to hear and feel the power of those machines. <laughs> Man. And we got Aaron yeah. here who used to fly one of those machines. I say used to because you just recently retired from the guard, correct? Yes, sir. I sure did. So, yeah. Well, why don't you give us... Um, why don't you give us the the story, man? How'd you how'd you get into this? Were, were you one of the kids that always knew what they wanted to do? They wanted to be a pilot, and yep, that's uh, that's exactly it. I don't I don't know where the interest came from. Um, I just you know ever since I was a little kid was was just always fascinated with with aviation. But my family doesn't have a uh, an aviation background. You know, I had a couple of grandparents that, that did some time in the military, but uh, I just I don't know where where it came from, but, you know, started playing with toys and then building plastic models and then uh, radio control models. And then I finally started flying. Um, I think I was a senior in high school, did the EAA Young Eagles program you know, a couple different times and um, always knew that I, I wanted to do something in aviation. Uh, it's yes. probably middle. Similar story yeah, probably, we hear from a lot of people. Yeah, you know, yeah. The model airplane thing is a reoccurring theme 
<laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I had about <laughs> 40 of them. <laughs> yeah. That's when I, I, I got out of it obviously, but now I, I walked into a hobby store that I used to work at and I, I had to buy one. So I, I bought a little <laughs> super electric and I can fly it in my backyard and, you know. Oh, so you had it so bad you actually worked in a hobby shop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I sure did. So. That's great. I was just yeah. looking at this F-14, this E-Flight uh, F-14. The wings actually sweep on it. It's got lights. It already comes installed. Oh, you can fly man. it in two hours. It's like $900. Yeah. I'm like, man, how do I justify getting this? I know it. <laughs> Yeah, I had yeah, I the uh, I had the Great Plains uh, sixty size gas powered F fourteen uh, that came out probably uh, like uh, mid nineties. You know, the mimic the Top Gun airplane. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's yep. uh, yeah, that's a ton of fun. So uh, you yep. you grew up in Sioux Falls. Yes, sir. Yep, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Born and raised there, and uh, I'm still I'm still in the area uh, today. So that's uh, one thing nice about the the national guard whether it's army or air is you know there's a lot of them that's probably close to a home you know uh, somebody's hometown and i just happened to to be lucky enough to have one in sioux falls and they flew flew f-16s and and you know everything uh, worked out did you uh, see got a recruiter like what was the first step did you well, actually yeah i was gonna oh. say um you know one of the things about that is great about this podcast that I think is really given it the success it has is the information in our industry is changing so rapidly that the young people who are watching this in high school right now, who just watched, you know, the second top gun movie and have that same drive to do something like we saw the 1980s when we watched the 1986 top gun, you know, I want to be that guy. I want to fly those machines. You know, they go to their high school guidance counselor. They may, they probably don't even have accurate information to give these people, which is no. what this podcast is all about. Yeah. So yeah. I guess perfect. Mike, you were asking the right question. I think. Yeah. What I yeah, mean, what, what was I'm your in high school? Step? I'm in high school. I want to be a fighter pilot. What do I need to do? Yeah. So, yeah, just to back up a little bit, I think it was probably in, in middle school. Um, and that's kind of when I decided I wanted to to pursue the, the tactical aviation, you know, fighter pilot, um, we're out. And then, yeah, I got into, got into high school, um, you know, sophomore, junior year, kind of looking forward, you know, what am I going to do for, for college? And, uh, at that time in the knowledge I had, you know, most of like all fighter pilots came out of one of the service academies. Uh, so I just kind of assumed that, you know, that I was, uh, the route that I was going to have to take and, like West Point, uh, Air Force that. Academy, uh, that kind of thing. Air Force Academy, Naval Academy. Yep, yep, absolutely. So um, I got in touch with a um, an advisor, graduated of the Air Force Academy, retired out of the guard. You know, basically, you know, the path that I I kind of wanted. He he started um, helping with the application process for uh, the service academies, and they say, you know, if you're going to apply for one, might as well apply for them all. Uh, I did visit the the Naval Academy and the Air Force Academy um, and kind of decided that it was the Air Force Academy or, or, or nothing. Um, you do need a congressional nomination to get into any of the service academies. Um, unfortunately, I received uh, nominations for the Merchant Marine Academy and the Naval Academy. And uh, how, how do you get that? You have to get a congressman to write a letter? Yep. Yeah, you sure do. So it's, it's part of the application process and I had to go visit, you know, the representatives of our state and, 
they reviewed my application. You write a letter of intent, you know, all, all that stuff. And um, so they kind of yeah. entered the congressman actually interviewed you. Or, I didn't actually meet with the congressman. It was it was their constituents, uh, I guess. But uh, they eventually got it, reviewed it, and then um, there's only, you know, from my understanding, so many slots, you know, per year per per state, and um, I don't I don't know all the details on that. But right. bottom line is, uh, I got two recommendations. It wasn't for the Air Force Academy, and uh, they recommend, you know, like you know, a lot of people don't get get those the first time, but you know, go to get a year of, of undergraduate school under your, your belt and reapply and your chances are, are greatly increased. Um, so that was, that was kind of a, you know, one of the first of many small setbacks. I was like, all right, well, um, what's the, what are my other options or how do I, you know, continue down this path? And my advisor is like, well, because you want it because you wanted air force Academy. Yeah. Nothing against the Naval Academy. I just, I mean, I, you know, it's just, uh, you didn't want to live on a boat, you know, Air Force <laughs> Academy is, is what I wanted to do, you know, and then right. I was going to do everything I, I could to, to get there. So in the meantime, um, you know, I asked him what, what to do. And he's like, well, the, the Air National Guard is, um, is an option for you. And I've heard of it, you know, new people that were in it didn't really know anything other more than that. Uh, but he set up a, meeting with a, a recruiter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota International Guard. I walked in there, I was like, well, you know, I wanna I wanna fly. I, I realize that, you know, you're not gonna hire me to do that right now, but you know, how do I how do I get there? Um, and they're like, well, uh, first of all, you know, we can we can get you enlisted in the in the unit and there's a lot of, of benefits with that. Um, so I enlisted in the uh, the avionics um, section essentially so i worked on you know all the aircraft avionics um they had a deal at the time where uh, they they paid half tuition for uh if you went to an in-state school and it's turned out that you know south dakota state university had an aviation program uh they paid like a the, the gi bill uh, they had a kicker on top of that so i mean there's there's all these benefits so i i got to thinking i was like you know well, i could i could go to traditional school in my home state go through an aviation program because I, I knew I wanted to to pursue a, a career in aviation, whether it's in the military civilian. And, you know, there's, there's always that risk that you're going to get medically DQ'd for the military or something like that. So I, I still wanted to have uh, civilian options um, open. So uh, bottom line is, yeah, I, I signed up uh, in av avionics, a six year, you know, commitment um, enrolled in South Dakota state uh, university and in their aviation program. And, um, went through all my you know, basic training, my tech training, got back and I, I went in to talk to the ops group commander at the time and was introduced myself and uh, said, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is my plan. I want to fly someday. Um, you know, what's, what do you recommend or, or what's the best, best path? And, uh, you know, we had a good conversation and he said, yeah, I, th I think you're on the, on the right path. And um, you know, getting, getting into the unit in some military experience. Um, then I, the reason I chose avionics was obviously getting familiar with the jet. You're working on the aircraft every day, but, um, you also, uh, after every flight you meet with the pilots and debrief and, you know, talk about any discrepancies with the aircraft. So getting that face time with the pilots, um, was, uh, was huge as, as well. So, 
yeah. that's kind of um, how I initially got my foot in the door and, you know, just kind of decided I wasn't going to do the, uh, any of the academies. And like I said, I didn't, and, until I went down and talked to the recruiter, <clears throat> I didn't even know that, you know, that was an option. Um, other options, there's, there's uh, OTS. So it, yeah, I guess let me back up again, but yeah, I, I um, enrolled in the aviation program at South Dakota state and my advisor was a retired um, Colonel and uh, he, and there's an ROTC program up there as well. And uh, I asked him, I was like, well, I'm, I'm in the guard now. Like, do I join ROTC? Because you can, you can get there um, through that program, you know, as well and get your school paid for and graduate as a lieutenant and then apply for, you know, a, a slot and graduate pilot training. Um, he's like, well, you can't, unfortunately you can't do both. So it's, it's one or the other. I elected to, to stick with the guard and, um, go down that path versus, versus active duty. So. Gotcha. Yeah. So the, um, you just mentioned the guard versus active duty. So maybe explain to the listeners a little bit of the differences between, you know, cause every branch of the military has active duty guard and reserve. And, um, I'm not sure everybody understands the, the aspects of each one. Yep. So I guess I'll, you know, touch more and talk more about the, the guard. They kind of lump the guard and reserve in the, you know, kind of the same, same group there. There are definitely some significant differences, but, but the bottom line is a, a guard unit has a, a national mission and a state mission. So you can be activated by baseball, uh, essentially the president, um, to go overseas and, and do a mission over there, or you can be activated by the governor of, like for in, in my case, the state of South Dakota, um, which has happened. Uh, we had the real bad flooding kind of down in uh, the Sioux City uh, area, and uh, the governor activated us to you, you basically deploy in your own state and, and you know get paid um, to, to address that um, particular emergency. Uh, with that being said, there's uh, there's full time, you know, guards. So people that show up every day and and work at the base and do their their job, uh, just like an active duty um, unit or, or squadron would. And there's also the majority of the guard is made up of uh, part time guardsmen. So, uh, for example, when I first enlisted, you know, everybody's probably heard of one week a month, two weeks a year. Sure. And that's basically. You're, you're going to do one guard drill um, per month. And it's usually, you know, the first weekend of the month. Um, and then there's a, a two week camp. So essentially you go on orders for two weeks. It might be, it might be at your unit. It might be a temporary duty location, uh, but that's kind of the, uh, the commitment. And then if your unit gets activated, yeah, you're going to, you're going to go, um, on a deployment. And for example, I've, I've been on five deployments, uh, twice to Iraq, um, Jordan, Korea, and then Afghanistan uh, was my last one. So the first, the first two were as a, as a maintainer and the last three were, uh, was as a pilot. So, and we can talk more about those later, but, uh, so backing up, basically I go to college, you know, that was kind of my full-time job. I do one week in a guard drill a month, um, do my two week camp a year. And there's, there's, there's opportunities to, to work more, um, but that's kind of the, the minimum, uh, the reserve, similar, uh, active duty, 
you're, I mean, that's, that's your full-time job. Like you're going to, you know, whatever you enlist in, or if you become a pilot, um, you kind of fill out a dream sheet, you know, uh, based on the aircraft that, that you get trained in. Um, and there's specific bases for that aircraft. And then, you know, your air force is going to put you where, where the need is. Um, you're going to be there for, you know, a few years, three to four years. And then I have to, end of those three or four years you're gonna you're gonna transition to another base or you're gonna you're gonna move several times um if you choose to do a, a full career um it is a if you go through pilot training it is a 10-year commitment so you're you know you, you sign your life away for for 10 years um from the from the day you graduate pilot training but uh, and you can always obviously choose to to stay longer um with the guard you're it's still a 10 minute or excuse me 10 year uh, commitment however you're you know you're not moving around uh you're, you're always going to be attached to that unit um and then backing up so i said you know there's there's full time and there's part time and I actually did i actually did both both on the enlisted side um, and the commission side uh, so it that's kind of one of the benefits about the guard it gives you that flexibility to have a civilian career outside of the guard but then show up um you know and have a, a military a career as well so um you know for example uh, a lot of guys in the in the squadron when i kind of was getting out are, are airline pilots and that's what they do full-time and then they they show up and uh do their you know get their sorties in uh for the month and then uh, you know, go back to the airline job. So the, the one week a month, two weeks a year doesn't necessarily apply. Well, it doesn't apply to the, uh, to pilots just because there's a lot of currencies that, uh, you have to, you know, maintain. So you're on a, on an average month, you know, for, and it, well, you need six to six to nine sorties a month, uh, to, to stay current. Um, gotcha. so wow. that's more that, than I thought it would be. So that equates to, you know, if, if you're a part-timer, you're a person, guest, um, you're, you're at the squadron, usually a minimum of three days a month. Uh, it could be up to, up to five days a month, just based on, you know, when, when the winters roll in, there's a lot of weather cancellations and stuff. So, um, but if you don't get your, your sorties in and you, you go on a, like a probationary period and if you don't get them in again, now you got to go through a, a, a retraining syllabus and you're, you're not considered uh, fully mission capable. So it's, it's, uh, depending on what your, your civilian job is, it, it can be, you know, a juggling act of, of schedules, but uh, right. at the same time, like you, you, kept the, you have the best of both worlds, you know, you're, um, you're not wearing the uniform every day. Um, unless you, unless you want to do that and then, you know, you can kind of, fly airlines for your full-time job and then on the weekends or handful of days a month you're, you're flying a, a single seat fighter which is which is a pretty unique opportunity so yeah yeah you go back um, to the airlines and so make yeah, all your co-workers are, jealous <laughs> so yeah, what what is yeah. a sortie is that like a training mission uh, uh yeah it's just yeah exactly training mission you know one one takeoff one landing so um most of the you know the f-16 you're your sorties are, you know, average duration, you know, hour to hour and a half, depending on what the, how the jets are configured, what, what training phase you're in. Um, so yeah, 1600 hours, it doesn't, 
doesn't sound like a lot of hours, you know, but if you think about, you know, divide that by 1.5, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of reps. A lot of flights. Yeah. yeah. So, so is most, most of your hours training? I mean, is that uh, like what of those, of those hours, how, how, what percentage of that is training? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's all training until you, until you deploy. Uh, okay. I, I mean, we do, do, you know, you do drop, you know, live weapons and, and, uh, and things, you know, throughout the year. But uh, as far as, you know, it, you're always, it's always a training environment. Uh, do, do you guys do like when there's sporting events and stuff, do you do like patrols or anything like that? Or <clears throat> Yep. So the, the S-16 is a, you know, a multi-role fighter and there's, there's a, a ton of different missions that that particular platform can do, which is, which is one reason why it makes it such a, a challenging job is because there's so much to learn and like you'll be constantly in a different training phase because you got to stay current on on uh you know all the all the the missions that the f6 f16 can do so yeah that actually to answer your question um there's there's a mission called aca and it's basically a, an, an alert uh, mission that was you know stood up after september 11th um the south dakota national guard actually has the um owns a, an alert detachment out in uh, California uh, where we have aircraft and pilots, you know, basically on call 24, seven, 365, similar to like a fire fire station. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. It, in that, that mission, I mean, there's, there's a lot involved in that, but um, one particular mission that, that I, did my most recent one, you know, was what president Trump was in out in orange County. I set up a TFR and they put, you know, time myself and another, another pilot basically in a, a combat, combat air patrol, you know, just, you know, a, a hold essentially over, over LA. And, um, we actually had to go intercept, you know, a GA aircraft that, you know, didn't check the notams or didn't have, situational awareness where, where the TFR was and, and busted the TFR and we had to go intercept him and oh, wow. um, get him out of the area. So, I mean, that's, but, uh, but yes, to answer your question, um, there are, you know, especially when there's VIP movements and, and stuff, there's, there's usually, uh, usually a combat aircraft, you know, on station somewhere that's, that's able to uh, react. So, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting, Aaron, because, you know, some of our listeners are already in flight training and have learned the intercept procedures and all that kind of stuff. Um, so what was the, uh, you know, so they know what you're talking about here. They're, they're listening to a guy that was on the other end of, uh, <laughs> of it. What, what, so what did, yep. did the guy acknowledge you were there? Did he follow the right procedures or is it, is it, did it go down <clears throat> the way I'm imagining, um, the dummy got himself into this situation, probably too dumb to even know the procedures or ho hopefully I'm wrong there. <laughs> yeah, I was, you know, and like going back to the training piece, like usually it's, it's, it's always training. Like, well, we do a lot of work with the civil air patrol and in, in this particular ACA mission, mm -hmm. um, doing intercepts, you know, cause the, you know, the minimum airspeed of a, of an F-16, you know, depending on how it's configured is, you know, you're, you're right around 200 knots. Right. And you're intercept, intercepting a, a 172 or 182, which is, yeah. you know, awesome. doing, so there, there's a lot of, you know, it's, it's, definitely something you need to need to practice because um, there's, there's a lot going on, but, uh, but yeah, going back to that particular intercept, um, it was, it was a, a skyline uh, 182 and uh, you know, one of our 
you know, you know, we were a, a two ship. I got called out in the intercept. Uh, my wingman was was in the cap, and we have two radios. So, especially in in, in LA, you know, Class Bravo airspace, you know, you, you're talking to well, LA Center, obviously, to get get clearance out of the cap. You know, and you know we're at you know twenty thousand feet, and we got to go all the way down to you know five thousand feet. So you got to go through lots of lots of traffic, and your the other uh, radio you're talking to the Western air defense sector, you know, and, and they're, they're the ones that are, um, committing you on the, on the intercept. But, um, one of our, our first and easiest, you know, procedures is to make a call on guard, you know, one twenty one five, and, uh, me, you know, flying the aircraft and talking to the center and, and wads. I, I had my, my wingman. I was like, Hey, why don't, why don't you give this, this guy call on guard? Um, Number. Um, and uh, he made the made the call on guard, and sure enough, the guy was monitoring guard. Like blew, blew my wow. mind wow. that he was monitoring guard. <laughs> I would have never uh, thought that. He, he, he <clears throat> yeah, he, uh, the pilot responded and said, "Yeah, you know, we, we just got intercepted by you know an F sixteen or whatnot." And um, I was talking to I think SoCal Approach at the time and uh, told me we made radio contact on guard. He's like, "Oh, hey, just have him turn to a heading of." You know, one eight zero, and contact me on on this frequency, and um, and that was it. You know, and he he mentioned that uh, the T, the TFR wasn't there, wasn't active, and I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to argue with you about it. You know, <laughs> it, it most definitely is. You know, they want right. to committed a, a fighter uh, to uh, come intercept yeah. you if it wasn't there. But so that was from the guy flying the F sixteen. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's active, buddy. Turn to head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we actually we actually interviewed or intercepted three aircraft that day. So that was uh, the 182. There was there's a King Air uh, going to uh, Catalina. That was off frequency. You wasn't talking to the right person. Um, I eventually got in touch with ATC, but my wingman he actually had to inter- intercept a <clears throat> thing that's a, a decathlon or a Citabri or something out over the water, <clears throat> and we do this uh, maneuver called a. Uh, a headbutt where you basically fly in front of the aircraft slightly below their uh, flight path so they don't hit your the wake turbulence you know and then basically you do an 90 degree turn right in front of them and try and get them to turn in a direction and then sometimes we'll we'll pop flares um to get their attention and stuff so i mean that that would be one of the, the more you know serious right um, actions that we would take but uh you have to be careful with those flares on the satabria those things are uh yeah they got that nylon or fabric coating on them yeah (laughs) Yeah. we we have very specific procedures that you know we we have to follow you know because obviously we we don't want to create a a hazardous situation for for either aircraft but uh, it's a very very real um mission and um definitely something that yeah you want to go back and and check the notams and, and make sure you're you're doing you're where you're at, where you're supposed to be or, or not where you're not supposed to be I, I guess so um, gotcha so, if, so if, if an aircraft like that doesn't respond you, you actually at some point can shoot them down is that or is only that if they're true? a threat like they you are, see them are, turning yeah. to a target maybe mm-hmm. or yeah 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 uh, wow yep. that's um, crazy it's it's got to go that authorization has to, has to go well well up the chain but uh, i mean there are live missiles and um live live ammunition on those aircraft for for that reason um but uh yeah it's highly unlikely depending on on the the 
situation, but uh, yes, that is definitely, I mean, that's, that's what, what we're there for. So, so you get through, you, you, you're, you got the okay to um, get into the guard in this flying position. What's next? Is it, right to UPT or you got to go to uh, OCS first uh, or you know, the officer school. I mean, cause you're an enlisted guy at this point. Right. And you get the, okay. Right, yep. All right. Yep. You're, we're going to, we're going to do this. I mean, what, what happens then? Yep. So I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the application process. So, I mean, it's definitely not a, you're not a shoe in by any means, you know, okay. you gotta, you, you gotta apply. Uh, for a pilot position and that's that's usually done through well based on the the unit the recruiters they're not really involved in in that process much so you got to talk to somebody within the operations group um but the typical application and usually you know if you you get on that unit's website there's a, a pilot application link and tells you about the process but um they're generally the same you you fill out an application you need three letters of recommendation, uh, college transcripts, and you can't apply until you have 90 credit hours of, of college. So basically after your your junior year of college is when you can start uh, applying for the, uh, the process. You also have to take the, the AFOQT, which is the Air Force Officers uh, Qualification Test. And it's a standardized test with you know, they got like a kind of like an ACT, SAT with, you know, yeah, like a pilot nav uh, section and uh, verbal and um, there's a couple other sections. But uh, you got to take that test and that, that gives you a, a score. And obviously uh, the application process is, is very competitive. So you, you really need to uh, study and get the best scores possible. Uh, in addition to that, you got to take a... Um, I think the name changed, but it's BAT. It was called BATS when I did it. Or T-BATS, Test of Basic Aviation Skills. And it's, it's no kidding like a, it's no kidding like a Pac-Man game. You got like a, a joystick and you got like a, like a gun sight on a screen and you're like just, you're, you're flying the gun sight over the target. And it's, it's basically scoring your hand-eye coordination. Right. Um, and so you, you get the results of that test. Um, if you have flight hours already, uh, they take all that stuff and combine it into what they call a, an ASVAB uh, score, I believe, and uh, or no, uh, PCSM uh, score, which it's it's essentially uh, a number that they computed which determines how well you're going to do in pilot training. And so you, and you can schedule these tests through your local uh, MEP center, um, uh, what have you, but uh, that's kind of the application process. You get all that stuff together, submit it, and each each unit it depends on their 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 needs. You know how many pilots they have, and how many they need, and how many are retiring, or um, you know so on and so forth. So forth. But usually, uh, like my unit, for example, we we would have a hold the pilot board, pilot hiring board, at least once a year, where we'd hire anywhere from one to to three candidates based on based on the needs. So, um, and we get, I think, uh, I was on a board here a couple of years ago and I think we had, we had over a hundred applications, I believe we were only hiring one or one or two spots. Wow. And, uh, so we, we go through them all and, you know, we, we try and involve the squadron cause it's very much a, a, a squadron decision. Um, cause usually, you know, whoever you hire, they're, they're going to stick around for, 
a while. So um, our unit, and this is in this is kind of unit specific, but any any applicants that were you know already members of our of the South Dakota National Guard were granted a, a interview. Uh, so that's kind of one of the one of the pros of you know enlisting in the unit uh, first. Um, so you're, you're kind of guaranteed interview. Uh, we, we take, you know, right. so those they, know you. they know who you are. <clears throat> yep. There's no mystery, but that, yep. that is interesting. You know, I mean, I think it's no, uh, mystery to anybody that being a military pilot is a competitive process. I mean, used to mm -hmm. be, I mean, it's loosened up a little bit because military needs people that, you know, pretty, uh, much like everybody else does nowadays, but I mean, they used to only want perfect human specimens to fly those jets, you know, and so it's already mm -hmm. competitive, even going active duty. But what you're saying is, is the reserve the reserve and the guard is like crazy competitive. I mean, right? Is that what I'm hearing? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, it sure is. I mean, and, and another nice thing about the guard is if, is if you get hired as a pilot for a guard unit, like you, you were going to fly whatever airframe that guard unit has. So, you know, in my case, F-16s, but there's guard units with, you know, KC-135s, there's guard units with F-35s, oh, yeah. there's guard units with, you know, Blackhawks. So, I mean, so, um, yeah, but that so is, not that only is one nice the competitive, thing. the competitiveness of the reserve and the guard, everybody wants the fighters. <clears throat> so you're yep. like, yeah, the tippy yep. top of the. Yeah, you know, and what I'd recommend is, you know, I, I was willing to 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 do or, or go wherever it uh, wherever I had to 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 fly, you know, fighter. So I, I sent out a, a pilot application to every fighter unit in the U.S. Um, and actually interviewed with uh, with several, including you know South Dakota, uh, a couple different times before I was I was hired. So um, it's it's not uncommon for you not to get hired, you know, on your, on your first, uh, first interview process, uh, but your, your, your chances greatly increase, you know, if you apply the next year and, you know, just improve yourself from, uh, from the first year. But, uh, yeah, so backing up a little bit, um, you know, out, out of all those applications I get, you know, we'll take maybe a dozen, um, that we want to, we want to interview, and uh, usually those are yeah the ones with the best test scores, you know, may have some military background, may not. You know, we've, we've taken a mix of, you know, guys off the street or you know, guys enlisted, guys that are already commissioned, um, you know, active duty, you know, guard. I mean, it's 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 kind of, you know, it, it, that really doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, you, you definitely want to make yourself as competitive as, as possible. Um, and then from those 12, you know, uh, our squadron would, would have a, a social gathering. So we'd bring in all the, the interviewees and uh, go out to a you know, local um, establishment. We, we had a, kind of a hangar party time um, and just uh, it gives you a chance to, to meet, you know, the applicants face to face instead of just looking at them, looking at them on paper. And you can, you know, you can, you can kind of judge a person's character, you know, after talking a little bit, especially, you know, if you get, you know, a few, few beers in them and, and stuff like that, you know, um, the truth kind of reveals itself. So, sure. um, that's usually, usually the night before. And then, uh, yeah, are, the are you saying uh, fighter pilots drink beer? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, most do. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, then, uh, you go into your interview and it's usually the ops group commander, uh, squadron commander, 
Um, and then, you know, they'll, there's usually, you know, one of the, the, the younger guys, and then, like, you know, a guy that's uh, a guy like me, you know, decent amount of experience, you know, and, um, and it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's formal and it's intimidating, obviously, especially for me, uh, you know, cause it's something you, you wanted real bad and, you know, right. I knew everybody on my board already and, and um, uh, but uh, it's, they try and make it, you know, as informal as possible, you know, they want you to be relaxed and, and enjoy it. And, but uh, yeah, they just, they ask you a handful of questions. Usually it's just, it's just like, Hey, you know, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. How'd you get here? Um, stuff like that. And they'll get in more, more in-depth questions, you know, like, uh, you know, why should we hire you? And um, sometimes I get off the wall questions. Like I, I remember I, I interviewed in Great Falls, Montana. And they asked me, he's like, you're driving down the highway and a gopher runs out on the highway. It's like, do you swerve to, to miss the gopher or do you, do you run that thing over, you know? And so it, and it's, you just gotta, you just gotta answer truthfully. You know, you don't think too much into it, but you know, they're just trying to, to feel you out, but right. uh they may be just ask, seeing you know, if you're going to take time to think about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're looking at, you know, your, you know, your bearing and, you know, how well you can, you can come up with a, with an answer and, you know, it's just all, all sorts of things, but uh, that's kind of how that uh, process worked. Um, they usually give you a call, you know, if, if not the, the same day, you know, maybe the, the, the day later and, and offer you the a position and then, um, from there, it's depending on if you're the process was pretty quick for me uh, from the time I, I got hired from the time I, I left uh, for my first training uh, training course, just because I was already enlisted. I was already in the unit. But um, if you're a civilian, you're not in the unit. You got to get enlisted. And that takes a while and um, nothing happens super fast uh, with the with the military, unfortunately. So. Uh, so I got hired so I interviewed in June uh, 2008. I just graduated college and then uh, I actually had my second deployment to Iraq. Uh, got back from that and then I had uh, my training dates for the first uh, program. So I was enlisted. Yeah, obviously, you got to be uh, commissioned to, uh, to be a pilot. So my first uh, training course was uh, AMS, which Academy of Military Science, uh, which is basically a, a basic training for officers um, that has si since changed. It's uh, now called OTS officer training school and it's uh, standardized um, guard reserve and active duty. So everybody goes, it's in Montgomery, Alabama. I think it's uh, eight or 10 week course. Um, but uh, that's the, that's, that is the first step in the whole process after you uh, on your way to uh, becoming a pilot. So um, go through that. I uh, graduate as a, a second lieutenant. And then um, after that, you, you go through um, under all well, you go to undergraduate pilot training. There, there is a, a program it's called uh, Initial Flights Training IFS. It's, it's in uh, Pueblo, Colorado, and I, I don't know if it's required for the Guard Reserve or not. I actually went through it, um, but it's, it's basically a um, you know precursor to, to undergraduate pilot training. Uh, so they have you find the DA, uh, DA 20, it's civilian contracted DOS aviation out of, like I said, Pueblo, Colorado. And it's, it's basically 
taken, it's basically a, a condensed private pilot program. Gotcha. Um, it was an option. Instead of, instead of UPT, usually you guys starting off in at T6. Well, now it's a T6. It used to be that little tweet T thing, T30. T37. Seven. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, from, so from what I understand, I think all active duty go go through it. Um, it was an option for me. I went just because I didn't have anything else going on, and there was a chance to get on orders and, and get paid. Um, but it was actually they kind of proficiency advanced me through because I was a I was a CFI already, and like I I had I had more experience than some of the instructors there. there sure. did, but um, that is that is uh, potentially uh, you might go through that course. Um, and that's strictly just to weed out anyone that they don't think is fit for undergraduate right. pilot training. So, yep. uh, so from there, uh, you get your, your UPTs, so undergraduate pilot training, you get your dates and your location. Um, there's a handful scattered throughout the U S a lot of them are in, in Texas or down South where the, where the weather's nice. Uh, so I went through Shepard air force base in Wichita yep. Falls, Texas, um, started in April of 09. So, Know, roughly you know six months or so after I graduated from uh, or got my commission um, and yep start it's about 54 week program and these numbers might be might have changed a little bit uh, but right. uh, it's gonna get you know should be pretty close yeah 54 weeks uh, the first half is in the t6 the Texan 2 um, which replaced yeah, the t37 the tweet. And uh, yeah, the big uh, turbo prop, the big single engine turbo prop. It's <clears throat> uh, basically yep. indestructible, but uh, yep. and it's got the uh, it's got the glass bubble canopy on it, almost like the F sixteen looking type of thing. You know, exactly. Yep. You, you, I don't know. Some of our students, just in case they're wondering what it is, you'll see them around as you. Yep. As you're flying around. Yep. Made made by Beechcraft, and um, you know, you start with you know the. The flow of, of UPT is, is academics, sims, flight line, and you do that for every phase of of uh, flight. So starting out with you know your your contact phase, which is you know takeoffs, landings, uh, aerobatics, and you go into your instrument phase, and then formation, and then um, cross country, low level, all that stuff. So you're that's kind of one of the, the hardest parts about it is your you know your your academics, you know, like the by the time you actually get an airplane and fly what you've learned, you're already on to the next phase in academics and sims and stuff. So you're, you're, you're juggling, you know, several different phases. You know, you might be, you're flying contact, you're, you're simming instruments and, but your academics are, are formation flying, you know, so there's, um, but it's a, it's an intense program. It's, it's fun. I, I had a blast. You, you get <clears throat> real close with, with everybody in your class and, you know, it's very much a, a team effort. Um, but yeah, you fly that uh, roughly for the first six months of UPT, roughly 120-ish hours. And then uh, you go to the T-38 um, if you're in a, a fighter-bomber track. Um, if you're if you're not, if you're in a, um, a heavy track, then you go to the, the T-1, uh, which is basically the, the beach jet, beach 400. Um, fly the, the T-38 for another six months. And then uh, I, I guess one change now is like they, they actually give you your wings um, after you graduate the T six. Oh. Uh, like when I went through, I didn't get I didn't get winged um, until I was done with the T thirty eight. So, hmm. uh, before you go to the T thirty eight, uh, you go to the centrifuge, which is is not a lot of fun. 
um, but they basically put you through a high G profile because um, obviously uh, the T38 is, is very much a, you know, it's, it's a fighter trainer. It's, it flies a lot like the F-16 as far as the speeds. And right. It's subsonic. Whatnot, it's, sub, but, uh, it's subsonic though, right? No, it's supersonic. Oh, the T-38, T-38 is? I didn't yeah. realize that. I always thought it was yep. subsonic. Doesn't yep. it have some ridiculous roll rate, too, like, or something? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it sure does. And, yeah, it actually, it rolls so fast, it'll actually get into a, a roll coupling uh, type deal, which is one of the limitations that they, they teach you. So, um, where, yeah, where, like where the uh, ailerons will become ineffective because it, the wings are spinning so fast or something? Yeah, it, it just starts to, like, like roll on on two axis, almost like a, a figure eight type oh, deal. Wow. That rolls so fast, yeah. What about so, the wow. uh, acceleration during takeoff? Is the F six? I mean, the F sixteen has that massive single engine, but that T thirty eight has the you know smaller twin inline thrust. Is the acceleration similar on takeoff, or uh, yep. the F sixteen got it beat? I mean, the, the F sixteen, based on how it's configured, you know, if it's it's cleaned off or you know single you know, single external fuel tank or something, there's, there's really nothing that, that compares to, no, excuse me, nothing that compares to that acceleration. But I mean, the T38, it's a smaller plane, um, sure. you know, it's got afterburners. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's very, very similar um, gotcha. in nature. So uh, I go to the centrifuge, usually in your break between the, the two aircraft, come back, fly the T38, and then uh, you'll go through what they call IFF, which is Introduction to Fighter Fundamentals. And it's, uh, I think, a, you know, roughly a roughly a four week course. But you know, now that you're you're winged, you know how to fly. Uh, you got wings on your chest. Now they're going to teach you how to turn the airplane into a weapon system. Which ultimately, that's what any fighter bomber aircraft is. It's a it's a weapon system. Um, so I'll teach you the basics of air to air, you know, dog fighting, and then. Uh, air to ground as well there's there's no there's no ordinance on the aircraft the t3 doesn't have any well, it's got some hard points but nothing for nothing for weapons so it's all built into the, the avionic systems um uh, so you do that graduate from that and then now if you go to what they call the uh, the b course the base course uh for the airframe that you're you're gonna fly um active duty so uh, I'm going to back up a little bit here and just talk about the difference between, you know, guard reserve and or active duty. So you're going through pilot training with, you know, there, there might be one, two, maybe three guard guys in your uh, UPT class, but most of them are, are all active duty and uh, they don't know what they're going to fly yet. Right. So um, it's all based on, and that's, that's one nice thing about the, the guard reserve is like, you know, you're, you're going to go to an F-16 or F-15 or your whatever your unit has. Um, you still have to perform well. Like when I was going through, you had to be in the top 50% of your class to continue on the fighter track. Um, and if you weren't, then they uh, would retract you to um, a heavy. Um, but the active duty uh, candidates, you know, they're, they're fighting tooth and nail, trying to do the best they, that they can. Because uh, at the end of the day, or at the end of the course, you get ranked, you know, top to bottom based on how well you did from uh, academics, uh, you know, your, your test scores once again, um, how you how well you did in an airplane, you know, like your check ride scores, 
and then uh, you know your your flight commander recommendation, and then uh, <clears throat> you get the end of the course, and Mother Air Force spits out, "Hey, we got uh, we got a you know we need so many fighter pilots, so many tanker pilots, so many C seventeen all the way down the line," and the guy at the top, you know, everybody fills out a dream sheet. Like this is my first, second, third, fourth, fifth choice, and go down the line and usually number one and, and or number two guy, you know, gets what they want. Um, yeah, I actually got a question. Sometimes that, Aaron. I've heard this, you know, I was air force. I got out, I was enlisted. I got out in 99. I was, uh, uh, yep. air crew life support slash, uh, survival instructor at Ellsworth, just down the road from you there yep. in rapid city. You bet. And, yep. um, you know, we had the B ones over there, and I I was always asking these guys. At one point, I wanted to follow a similar footsteps to what you did. I was going to be active, though. I was going to stay active. But um, you know, I'd always heard yep. at the end of UPT, it doesn't. It's it's also based on what slots come out. You could have been the best person they've come through at come through UPT in the last two years. Number one, tippity top, better than your instructors at flying those machines. But the only yep. thing they had on the list that month were C5 slots. Is that true? Yep. Okay. Exactly. It's 100% true. Yep. Yeah, that was, so, that was yeah. discouraging to me and my 19-year-old my, uh, head at the time, you know? Like, yeah. the amount of yeah, effort absolutely. to put in. and Yeah. Anyway, yep. sorry. That's, I just uh, to throw that question in there. No. Yeah, it's, it's a very real, real scenario. And, um, I mean, the, the fighter – community is, is hurting right now. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know what the drop nights are like now, but there's, uh, there, I think there's pr plenty of fighter slots out there. Um, gotcha. right now. So, so, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of one of the differences between, you know, if you were to go ROTC or one of the academies and, um, go through OTS and then get a, a UPT slot, like you're, you're not going to know what you're flying until, you know, shortly before you're, you've completed UPT. Um, uh, yeah. So anyway, you get, you get in with all that IFF is complete. Now you go to the, the basic course and that's where you're going to fly your specific airframe, whether it's, you know, F-16, F-15, F-15E, F-35, you know, what, what have you. Um, I went through Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix. Uh, they since moved it uh, to uh, uh, New Mexico um, I'm drawing a blank on the, on, on the base, but, um, yeah, I know they moved yeah, it, it was Luke when sands. I was in, that's where all the F-16 guys, yep. that was, yep. So now that's a, that's an F-35 training base now. So if you, if you oh, dropped F-35, okay. you'd be going there and, and learn how to fly the F-35. Um, but the B course for me was, was, was about a year long. I think it was just, just under a year, but I spent a year in Phoenix and basically you start all, oh yeah. And before that you go back, you just centrifuge. And now you do a, a F-16 uh, specific profile. Because the um, seat is inclined more, so you can feel the difference in the forces on the incline? Yep. I mean, all the, yeah, the, the seat in F-16 is reclined uh, 30 degrees. Um, but they, you know, the F-16 is, you know, the highest G airframe out there. Oh, um, okay. So they, obviously, but before they sink all that money into putting you through the F-16 B course, they want to make sure that you can handle it. So they, they put you through a more intense um, uh, G profile, which it's, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's terrible. Um, so it's, they put you in a machine that spins you around and <clears throat> makes you yep. so dizzy. I mean, are you like going. growing up? 
They keep going to you pass out, right? I mean, they want to know where the well, limit is for you. If if you pass out, that's that's not that's not what you want to do. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> right. you know, you'll go, go, go through academics. You know, and they talk about the the, the physiology uh, physiology of the, of the human body, and you know why why you G lock, how it happens, and then how to prevent it. You know, and um, there's there's very specific techniques and what you do with your your muscles and your lower body and your breathing technique and 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 all this stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I, the, I always how, thought the point was just like the altitude <clears throat> chamber to actually take each of you to the point of passing out, so you have at least that experience of knowing where it's going to happen for you. That's not the way it works in a G yep. situation, like the altitude chamber. So. They start out and they they want you to know what your resting G tolerance is. And basically they're just sitting in a chair, you know, they it's, and it's a slow progression. You know, they, they start the centrifuge. And like when you start to get tunnel vision and, and light loss, then you call a knock it off essentially. And uh, now you know what your, your resting G tolerance is. It's, it's usually right around, I think mine was right around five Gs. But, Where you uh, start to saw the black, the black coming in? <clears throat> yep. Um, that's that's without it, it, the G-suit? That's without the G-suit, without doing any, any type of, you know, um, straining maneuver or, or what have you. But uh, it, it's all based on body type. You know, tall, skinnier guys like me um, actually struggle the hardest uh, just because, you know, it's the, the distance from your, your head to your heart. Sure. Is, you know, the farther that distance is, um, the more difficult it is to keep that, that blood up there. But um, – you know, short stockier guys or gals, and they tend to do a little bit better. Um, and the kind of the joke was, you know, the, the unhealthy people, guys or people with high blood pressure and high cholesterol, they actually do the best because, you know, their blood pressure is so high. Right. Uh, but I, I ran, I ran track and cross country, and kind of have my blood pressures on the on the lower side. So I mean, I I gotta, you know, work work pretty hard to, um, to stay conscious so then it's 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 not the type of deal where if you g-lock you know you're done uh but you're gonna go through some some uh some more training and they, i mean they they want to get you through it but if you can't pass it like you're unfortunately that's that's the end of your your fighter career right there so right. because that's it, no matter what apparatus you're wearing the g-suit the techniques of the you know the grunting and all that stuff they train you physiologically there is no way for not like training for a marathon physiologically there's no way your body will ever get better at that situation blacking out or redding out right is that correct yep. that's correct yeah. Yeah. yep unfortunately well, it's just some some people are aren't cut out for it it's gotcha. I mean, no fault of their own it's just, it's right. just the way it is well, you can't so how common is it you got a guy that's just a rock star? I mean, academically, he's flying awesome. I mean, he goes through all the hoops, the comp congressional stuff. I mean, you're and then he gets to that man and he's, you know, passing out and throwing up all over himself and he's done. Yep. Is that common? Uh it's, I wouldn't say it's common. Um, but uh it, actually my my experience, so I, you know, I I show up for my my F sixteen profile. Uh, yeah. so this is like this is like the last, you know, box I have to check in order to get in the F-16. And so I'm, I'm nervous. You know, I've, I've been through it once, but I know this is, you know, you only hear horror stories about it. And I was like, you know, this, this could be, 
this could be it for me, you know, what, yeah. you know, so you're trying to obviously push those, push those thoughts out. Uh, but the first guy that, that got in, dude, he, he G locks like, in, 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 like all the other students or whatnot, you're sitting in the room and they got screens up on the, t- you know, TV screens. G lock means passing out, right? Yep. Yeah. Sorry. It's a, a gravitational okay. loss of consciousness. So you're okay. Gotcha. Um, your, your, your brain basically, you know, loses oxygen. It, it does a restart. You lose consciousness and it, you, right. you know, you come back. But, uh, when you're, you know, you're flying a, a single seat fighter and that happens, obviously the, the results are, are fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so yeah, we're, we're all sitting there watching and yeah, sure enough, dude, he's, <clears throat> he G locks and we all kind of looked at each other like, dude, and he, and he was, a big guy, you know, muscular, you know, just right a, shape, a guy yeah. that looking at him be like, yeah, dude, this, this, this guy's going to be fine. And, you know, sure enough, it's like, but anyway, he just, I, I don't know what, you know, path. I think he had to stay another day. And like, they, like I said, they, they try and get you through it. And, then, and I think it was more, it wasn't his, you know, physical body. It was just, he had a bad technique. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, squeezing all his lower, lower body muscles and his breathing technique. I mean, most of the time it's, it's that's what it is. Um, and what they're trying to teach is, you know, when you start feeling G's come on, you, you do this, they call it the AGSM and the anti-G straining maneuver. Um, but so when you start to feel G's come on, like you just, you, you start doing it as second nature, just like breathing and blinking and all that stuff you don't think about, like you just do it. Um, and that you got to have the right technique and, and do it correctly. Um, I got gotcha. you. Uh, but the centrifuge, you don't you don't wear a G suit, and you don't get uh, you don't get the the pressurized breathing through the mask like you do in the jets. So I mean, it's it's as realistic as it can be, but it's not. You're you're spinning around in a circle. So in the the carriage, you know, when it starts, it, it kind of swings up, and so you you it can you know you get that the fluid in your ear kind of it makes you I don't know. It's it it wasn't a a fun experience. So here uh, you are. You're nervous to begin you know, with. You got all this on the line, and then the guy in front of you passes out. You're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. So, but it it ended up being, um, you know, going going well, and made it through, and Good. you know, never never looked back. So, so is there a recurrent so, uh, on that? Because yeah, I know after that, as you get older, you can't tolerate that as well. Right. So is there like a recurrent, like when you're in your late thirties or something? Nope. Uh, you know, I, I haven't been back. I don't remember that. I was probably oh, okay. 20, 2010. I probably did that. And, you know, I never, it's, it's not a recurrent item, which, you know, they kind of, oh, yeah. After you, after you kind of make it through that and, you know, if you make it through your B course and, and stuff and they, they just kind of, um, assume that you're you're good to go. You gotcha. do have to. There is an altitude chamber frequency. I think it's you know five years or whatnot. So we'd have to. You know, I know that changes as you age. That. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, but yeah, then you go through the the B course and you you basically start all over again. Um, just like UPT, you start doing you know contact, you know how to take off the land, and then you do. Um, obviously, it's a, it's a weapon system, so now you you go through an air air phase and. Um, which, you know, there's multiple phases, you know, BFM, basic fighting maneuvers, um, offensive, defensive, high aspect. Um, and you get into your air to ground rides. So your uh, basic, 
you know, surface attack, you're dropping, you know, just little 25 pound practice dumb bombs, shooting the gun, and you kind of, kind of com combined both the air to air and air to ground into a missionized ride. So um, that's kind of the, you get to the end of the course, and now you're, you may or may not have weapons, you can simulate everything in the jet, but you, you basically fight your way into a target area. Um, and, you know, you're shooting missiles on the way in, cleaning up their picture, and then you, you get into your target area and you drop your bombs, whether they're laser-guided bombs, GPS-guided bombs, you know, whatever, and then um, fight your way back out. Um, so that's kind of, honestly, that what the F-16 is designed to do. Um, you know, it's, a, it's more more of a bomb dropper, a striker than a than an air-to-air -air platform, but we do have that capability. So uh, um, you uh, get done with all that and then graduate and you go back to your uh, home unit and, and guess what? You start all over again. Uh, they, they, they go through what they call a, an MQT, uh, syllabus mission qualification training, and, and you're flying with a, an instructor pilot in your squadron, you know, a guy like me. Start all over. Start doing, you know, start out with with air to air, doing basic fighter maneuvers. You know, basically the same thing you just did in the B course. Now you do it all uh, all over again, and um, you can pass the ride. You can fail the ride. Um, the ride can be incomplete because you know the jet has a malfunction. You got to come back, or there's you know weather, you know um, whatnot. But uh, you get to the end of that um, syllabus, and you know, now you're a, a fully fully mission. Uh, qualified um, combat F-16 pilot, meaning you're, you're able to deploy uh, to combat zone and, and do the mission, which is a which is a pretty pretty cool deal, pretty pretty yeah. big deal. But I mean, that whole process is <clears throat> from from the time I left for to get my commission to the time I got back to my squadron was was about three years. Wow, um, man! It, when it, you left, it, oh, just the commission by. and the training—three years. But then you were already—you were also you had joined the guard, enlisted in the guard, which means going in the military without college. Somebody right out of high school. You did that. How long were you yep. enlisted before this happened? Yeah, so I was enlisted uh, six years. How much? So I enlisted uh, six years. Six years I spent enlisted. Yep. So, All I right, so you did a full twenty. Yep, had twenty about twenty and a half years is what I ended up with when I uh, okay. retired last last summer. So, gotcha. So it was three years from so, the time you got uh, the commission on all the way through all the UPT, the specific training. Okay, so this is a uh, I yep. got you. That's Very why they intense. want the ten so, years out of you. <laughs> exactly. Yep they they dump millions of dollars um, into each into each uh, you know UPT student and um it's a it's a big big commitment so gotcha but it goes by it goes by so fast i mean it's, it's just it's, it's so just busy. all just all blur yeah i mean um and it, it was a blast I mean, you'd, you know you get to your your days the week would just fly by and the weekends you'd you'd go out and you know let loose with all your classmates and <clears throat> you know, Sundays, you know, rest and recovery and then back at it. I mean, it just, I can't believe how fast it went. Yeah. Right. So, right. I bet you got some great friends from that. Right. Still. Oh yeah. It's, uh -huh. uh, I still keep, keep in touch with, with a lot of them and a lot of them that were in my class, they're, they're uh, getting into command now. So there's a lot of them are, are squadron commanders now and which is, which is cool to see. And um, one, one difference with active duty and guard reserve is like, 
Um, you you can promote about the same, but like if like I said, my peers that I went through, they're they're in command positions now. Like where like if I was still in, I would not be. Like the the, the turnover is so much slower in the guard. So you know it, it until somebody retires or moves up, you know, and then it affects the whole chain. You know what I right. mean? So I mean, if I was still in, I would not. I probably wouldn't be in a, a command position. Matter of fact, guys that are or my squadron mates that were you know two, three, four years ahead of me, they're just now getting into command position. So um, I guess that's one of the also one of the differences of active duty and um, guard reserve. Gotcha. Yeah, the uh, whole military buddy thing. That's that's re. I mean, I got out of the Air Force in '99, and there's. Uh, five or six guys I still regularly communicate with. We're on a group text, you know, we'll send each other a funny oh, yeah. meme or have a phone call on some random, you know, Saturday night, have a beer together on the phone, whatever. That's the real thing. That'll be there forever. And that, that is Absolutely. something with, yep. with military camaraderie for sure. Yep. yep. Especially tactical aviation. I mean, it's, it's the, the brotherhood you develop. And sure. Like, like what it comes down to is, you know, when you're in combat, you know, you're, you're, you're trusting the guy in your guy or yep. gal on, on your wing to, you know, with your life and mm-hmm. you're trusting them that, that they're going to do the right thing and say the right thing, you know, and, and they're relying on you to do that. And, and the, the bond that it, that it makes is, is, you know, it's hard to describe. And it's just a very, very special, unique um, group to be a part of. And honestly, that's, that's what I, you know, miss the most. Um, after I retired is, is probably that aspect of it. Not so much flying the jet, but it's just that, you know, camaraderie and, and uh, sure. brotherhood. So it's, it's very, yeah. so very I, unique, just, very I look at your story, Aaron. I mean, you, it's like you, I mean, the luck, I mean, it's like you're sprinkled in Elvis dust with this luck of yeah. getting a fighter in your hometown mm-hmm. in the guard. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I've heard uh, like professional sports players, like NFL guys and major league baseball guys, you know, they get asked the question by the parent of some young child. My, my kid wants to be a professional baseball player. What should he do? And their response, I've heard this from more than one of these pro athletes is tell them to forget about it. I mean, it, it, (laughs) I'm here because I, it was dumb luck. I could have eased. I, I should not be here. This is, Whatever. This is not something to pursue. I Man, mean, I don't. Which, which, I, I, look, let me say something first. I can tell by wait. talking to this guy, though. He's highly intelligent. Oh, he's I know. I know. Him. But what I'm <laughs> saying is, I guess here's the actual question I have for you, Aaron. Knowing what you know now, seeing the whole picture, the whole all the gears, you know, that are working the clock behind the face. Right. Right. You do you think that. Um, you would have went a different way for the listener. Listen to this. Like what is, is that path realistic or should somebody, you know, that wants to be a fighter pilot, try to go the active duty route and maybe go to college or seek to go to the Academy first. Like what would be the most logical, you know, try to get in the Academy or go to college, do ROTC. Um, You know, cause most folks think I'll go talk to a recruiter. But recruiter is there to fill the enlisted ranks for the most part. Exactly, they're they're salesmen. Yep, yep yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, I, if so, to, yeah. To answer your first question, I'd, I'd absolutely do it 
all over again and the route that uh that i took and worked out for me like yeah i i mean i have no no complaints no regrets um but yeah like you said i'm i'm just very fortunate to uh, to have a fight unit in my hometown that i mm-hmm. you know got to see both the enlisted side and then the um the commission side and um it just yeah everything worked out you know better than i ever could have imagined it it would have you know so um <clears throat> i guess what what i'd recommend is i mean it is, it's absolutely a, a possibility um it's it, it's a long process as you, as you can see um it, it's not for everyone you know enlisting into the into the unit or a unit is you know maybe not not uh, an option for some maybe they don't want to do it um not a good fit but i mean there's still other options like i like i said we we've hired um civilians right off the street from you know out of the area you know so i mean that's that's definitely a a possibility uh but i mean you gotta you gotta be competitive as competitive as possible and you know make yourself look as good as you can on, on paper and in addition to that um it's it helps to visit or rush the unit you know, so there would be there'd be guard drill weekends where um, I remember, you know, showing up and there'd be all these, you know, people, you know, young, young 20s in, in civilian clothes just wandering around and um, they're they're rushing the unit. They're just they're they're They have applied or they're going to apply and they're just trying to put a face with a name. And, you know, some of them are coming from a long ways away, spending a lot of money on airline tickets and hotels and, you know, travel yeah. to show up. And, but I mean, that's, I'll tell you right now that that's, I mean, that's what it takes. Like that's, that's kind of what the, the game is, right. has turned into. Um, what would you say? I, so, I mean, if. Well, yeah. What's what, that? what would you say, you know, obviously, you know, luck was part of this, but uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get, I believe. Sure. So, but, but how would you say how, yep. how, from somebody watching this, there's a perception and, and, and you come across as highly intelligent. And I'm sure the viewers are thinking that too, uh, that fighter pilots have to be extremely intelligent, like above mm-hmm. average of a normal person. So for the average guy that's watching this podcast that, you know, maybe he's driving his truck right now, maybe he's in high school and uh, he's an average student, you know, C's and B's and he's thinking you know I really want to do this but I, I'm not as smart as this guy talking um, I, I'm not a straight A student and, and maybe n- not just you personally but it, it can guys rise up if they really want it is it more is it more your academics in your mind or is it more your drive and your you know these guys like you're saying that are flying in and spending their own money to hang out at the base and be with is that it, what is a more important component do you think yeah, I I I'd definitely say like I'm not I'm not the, the smartest guy out there. I was definitely not a, a straight A student. I think, you know, high school I was three three point two maybe GPA. I got into college where I was actually doing something that I, I wanted to do and you know, I was a, a three point five was my GPA in college. Um my my test scores were as a matter of fact, you know, that going back to that AFOQT test and I I'm not a good test taker I standardized tests and never really did that well and actually the first time I took it 
I didn't even meet the minimum for the verbal score. I think the minimum was like 15 for the verbal and I, I missed it. Like I like failed the verbal portion. I mean, my pilot nav scores were like 99 or, or whatnot, but, uh, and I was obviously super embarrassed and obviously, you know, I was like, I mean, can I even, I can't even, I can't even pass the first test. Like, you know, how am I going to, you know, can I even do this? Right. Um, so I, you had the option to, to retake that test and, um, well, they, I did get an interview that year and, uh, they told me after the fact, they're like, that was, you know, you had the be- one of the best interviews, um, that we've seen. Unfortunately, we can't hire you because you, you your test scores aren't, or your, your one section of the one test isn't passing. So they, they couldn't like legally hired me. And like, that was a, like a huge, huge, you know, punch in the gut. Sure. Um, to know that I, I had it perform everything else was there, but this one stupid verbal portion of the AFOQT, um, went back, uh, retook the test, you know, fixed the score. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but I did much better the second time around, um, interviewed the next year and they were only taking one and I didn't get it again. Um, and I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't think I was guaranteed the slot, but I, I was like, well, you know, based on what the feedback I got from last year and, you know, I've improved myself over the course of this year, more flying hours, better test scores, you know, this and that. And, you know, I, I didn't get it again. And it, it all, and it came down to, there was somebody that was just a little bit better than me and there was only one slot. And, you know, so I, you know, again, you know, you haven't failed till you stop trying kind of <laughs> like that. Yep. And then, uh, and, then the so it was actually a third year that I applied. Um, I was like, well, I mean, it's either. And at this point, I I'd started looking at OTS. I'd applied for for OTS, and um, I, I interviewed with like, like I said, Great Falls, Montana, Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Duluth, Minnesota, and I actually had the alternate slot up in Duluth. Um, so and, and kind of what they told me when I left was like, hey, we're we're, we're choosing you as alternate. Traditionally you know, the alternate will, you know, we still want you to apply and, and interview next, you know, the, the following year, but usually, um, you know, things being equal that that's the person that will get selected and go to training the following year. So I, I kind of had that, um, locked down my back pocket. Um, and I, I told him that in the interview and I, I think that, um, definitely helped me that helped, um, yeah. because the, they, they knew me, they, they liked me. And when I say they like, you know, the, uh, the pilots and ops and stuff like that. And I think they, they're kind of like, well, Hey, if we don't get this guy now, then right. you know, he's going to, um, he's going to leave us, which, which is, I mean, honestly, that's not a bad deal either. One thing about the guard is you can, you can jump around units. You know, I, I know people that have gotten the guard, they've gone and, and, and done a three, four year active duty stint, came back to the guard, you know, guys that have gone from, you know, our unit flying F-16s, um, switched uh, units down to down Florida flying F-22s. Um, so, I mean, there's, I once mean, once you're in, in, there's, there's a lot of options, a lot of possibilities. Um, even if you go active duty, um, there's a, what they call a palace chase option where you can leave active duty before your 10 year commitment and then finish it out in the guard. Um, and then, you know, like a lot of guys that'll, we've we actually hired several uh, pilots um, that are were born and raised, grew up in the Sioux Falls area, 
um, that went out and either went through the academy or, or OTS, ROTC, you know, got a fighter slot, um, you know, active duty, and then did active duty. And then they, they come to the guard and they finish out their um, retirement years, you know, in the, in the same area that they grew up in. So, I mean, um, that's definitely, definitely an, an option too. Gotcha. But back, so, to, back to the whole easiest route thing, you know, the guy that's in high school right now watching this who's like, I want to be a fighter pilot. I don't care if I spend 15 of my 20 years living in a tent in the desert. As long as I'm working, yeah. my job is flying a fighter. What's his easiest route? That's, Academy, that's then ROTC? I mean, what, what's, uh, what do you recommend? Probably your – I mean, probably your – I, I dare say, you know, shoe in route, but would probably be ROTC. ROTC. Um, so go to college. Yeah. Explain what that is to folks. So our ROTC, it's, it's, uh, honestly, I, I couldn't even tell you what it, what it stands for, but, um, basically, yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, um, but most colleges have it and it, it's basically, you know, a um, college with, you know, military uh, cur- curriculum mixed in. And when you graduate, and usually they'll they'll pay they'll cover 100 percent of your tuition, so I mean it's costing you zero zero dollars. Um, and uh, when you graduate college, you graduate as a commission to the second lieutenant, um, so you have you have that done already, and then you have the option of applying for a UPT slot, uh, which the guys that I've talked to are are going down that route. It sounds like you know as long as you're you're an average student. You don't have, you know, you didn't get any, any trouble. You, you know, you get kept your nose clean and stuff like that. Um, you're, you're probably going to get a UPT slot. Um, especially now there's a pilot shortage, not only, you know, um, civilian wise, but military wise uh, as well. So you think so, those guys would get in even before an Academy guy want to go to UPT? <clears throat> well, like Academy, it's the same thing. Like they got to apply for UPT as well. Um, right. But I mean, as far as you got an ROTC and an academy, it's just hard to get into the academy. You're saying the e- it it's going to be more likely that you would yep. end up in that ROTC route. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, like the, the academy, like I said, is it's a very competitive, a competitive process. Yeah. And like I, I didn't get in my my first time. So, I mean, but ROTC is just to my, my knowledge open to pretty much everyone. Um, so but I mean, it, I like the route I took. I would, I would, I would do it all over again. I'd, I'd recommend it to, uh, to anyone. So if there's, you know, guys or gals out there that are, you know, have a, a guard unit that's close, they have an airframe that they want to fly. Um, I would, I would go, go talk to a recruiter for sure and just see what the benefits are right now. Cause I mean, I, I think the benefits have actually got, got uh, better as far as tuition assistance and uh, HEI bill and, and, like the kicker, I don't know if that's still. There's a lot of sign-on bonuses right now for different areas that are that are hurting. But I mean, for example, like I, I was going to college and I was making about a thousand dollars a month between you know I would I would guard drill Saturday Sunday you know once a month um, and I got a GI bill which was uh, I think it's like three hundred and fifty dollars a month um, every month and then I got a kicker which is another. 270 something. So yeah, all that, like I made a thousand dollars a month for essentially working two days where, you know, a lot of my 
friends and stuff that weren't in the guard, you know, they had part-time jobs on the side, um, stuff like that. So, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, that aspect alone to get you through college. I mean, whether you stay in or, or not, it was, you know, I would, I would recommend it um, right, yeah. uh, to anyone. So and if they don't get accepted to UPT, uh-huh. you know, the officers have, you're going to be an officer at that point, I guess. And um, I mean, you're going to have one of the better jobs in the military, you know, something uh, yep. like a meteorologist or, you know, some type of management position basically, or, yep. or a, a high end technical type of position. Yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know anyone personally that, that did not get a UPT slot. Oh, that really, nice. that really won. Um, so, you know, take that for, uh, for whatever it's worth. Uh, but like I said, you know, you're, you go that route, you don't know what you're, you're going to fly and it's all based on performance. So, I mean, um, it's, there, there is that risk as well. Uh, with the guard, you know, you're going to fly, but it also it's more competitive to, to get that slot to go to UPT. Um, there's, there, I have heard of, <clears throat> so I, the guy that uh, I, I flew with in my squadron, he actually got selected uh, to fly KC-135s out of uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. They had a guard unit down there. And uh, he was in UPT, um, I think still in the T-6. And uh, they had um, they had somebody that was, that, that was in a fighter slot, uh, wasn't doing well. And he was doing well, and he basically swapped. So nice. he went to UPT thinking he was going to fly KC-135s, and he's, he was from the, that area, the Lincoln uh, area. And anyone watching and, uh, doesn't know what the KC-135 is. <clears throat> this is a tanker. This is a refueler, and your whole mission, your whole career, yeah. is to fly in a holding pattern while fight the fighter guys, uh, you sit there and be jealous of the fighters coming up to get refueled <laughs> while you're flying in circles all day. so uh, so there are you know some kind of one-off scenarios uh like that as well but uh you know what about the guy who ended up flying the kc-135 you know he's active duty uh his active duty question i guess he's flying a kc-135 he's been doing it now for eight ten years at this whatever he's just tired of it can he put in for a fighter slot or if he did terrible at upt way back then is that going to follow him his whole career? Yeah, I mean, you're once you're if, if you don't make that fighter bomber track, um, which which usually is, is the top fifty percent of a UPT class, then yeah, I mean, you're there's no that follows you. You're yeah, done. You're, you're done. Okay, you're, you're done. So um, we uh, we actually hired uh, one guy. So he came off active duty. He was actually out at Ellsworth flying the B one. Um, and he came, came to the guard and we hired him and sent him through what they call a, well, it's, it's basically an abbreviated a transition, uh, training program on the F-16. So, you know, he had, um, flew bombers his entire career, got hired with the South Dakota National Guard, went through, um, you know, the F-16 training program. And then now he, he flies F-16s for the, for our squadron. So, I mean, that's, but, you know, he, he made that fighter bomber cut in UPT 
Gotcha. So, um, so that's also an option as well. It's not, it's not very common. I wouldn't, I, I would say, but, uh, it, like I said, it, it depends on the, on the needs, needs of the unit. And like our unit is real big on hiring people that are kind of with, within the area or from the area, uh, because there are guys and gals out there that, you know, will do anything they, they can just to, to get in a fighter and then they jump ship and go back to, you know, their, their home unit or a unit closer to them. And like, it's like, well, that's, that's not really the point. You know, we didn't right. really get, well, it takes a certain kind of person to uh, like South Dakota, like that, you know, that terrain and that environment <clears throat> of South Dakota. I, I know oh, I yeah. was shocked growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, my first winter in Ellsworth, you know, where uh, the air is so dry and cold. If you're not wearing a glove, your hand will freeze to the door handle of your car. And oh yeah, you know, breathing in through your nose on that cold air, and your sinuses freeze for the first time. Yep. You know that. You know, I learned why they, the parkas have all that fuzzy stuff around the hood. It's to warm oh, yeah. the air in front of your face, so you don't freeze your your sinuses when you breathe through your nose. Yep. But yeah, that 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 environment's not for everybody. It's <laughs> it's not. That's that's for sure. But um, you know, most, most of the years is pretty pleasant to live there, live there, but yeah, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, you gotta take that with the, uh, with the winners. That's for sure. So Aaron, you know, you went through all of this training and extremely hyper competitive, uh, and then you got into the F-16, you completed the train, you're flying the missions. So, uh, actually flying the plane, you know, cause most pilots have never flown anything like that. I mean, mm -hmm. is it, is it, was it everything that you uh, thought it was? I mean, is the performance and the acceleration and, and the handling of that plane? Uh, I mean, are you smiling every day, even after, mm -hmm. after 20 years of doing it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bottom line. It's just a, it's a very amazing uh, aircraft. It's, it's very easy to fly uh, for the most part. Uh, it can be, can be tricky to land, you know, just based on the, on the speeds and there's no thrust reversers and, you know, you gotta be uh, pretty disciplined, but, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, the visibility is outstanding. The, the power is obviously incredible. Um, the plat, just the platform itself, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a multi-role fighter, you know, they joke, you know, it's a, the jack of all trades, but the master of none. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and, and I, but it, it's, it is a, a very difficult job. Um, and like I said, flying, flying the aircraft is basically second nature. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's a weapon system. Um, and, and being a single seat, uh, fighter, like you don't have anyone in the back seat to, to do anything for you. So, I mean, you're, um, uh, from, from the, from the time you light the afterburner to, to take off the time you, you're rolling out on landing, it's like, you're, you're working, there's an autopilot, but it's. It, it's got like altitude hold and it'll follow a heading bug and maybe a steer point. But I mean, it's like you're hand flying all the approaches, instrument approaches, um, you, you take it off, you know, you're, you're running all these sensors. You have, you know, you, you got a targeting pod, you know, you got a radar, um, you have your electronic countermeasures, uh, systems, you're flying formation. Um, you're talking on the radio, two different radios, um, your weapon systems, like when you're employing weapons, like every weapon has different, uh, you know, parameters that you, you have to be in before, before you shoot, whether it's an air or missile, you know, radar guided, uh, heat seeking missile, 
multitude of air to ground ordnance, you know, GPS guided, laser guided, a combination of both rockets, the gun. So, I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's just an incredible amount of information to know, and that's not including just your, your basic, you know, general aircraft knowledge, like critical action procedures. And, oh, and, oh, by the way, you know, these, these aircraft are, you know, over 20 years old, they have over 7,000 hours of, of time on them. And then they're, things break like like mm -hmm. you, there's multiple malfunctions that you have to deal with wow. um and like you that, all that factors into your your mission planning too so if i mean for example <clears throat> like it like a day day in the life of a fighter pilot um if you're on this you know you'd probably fly two to three times per week and this is i'm talking home station you know um a, a, a traditional week in the guard. I'm not talking about a temporary duty location or, or deployed. Except that's uh, that's different. But two to three times a week, um, you know, the schedule comes out. You look how you're flying with. You see, you know, what mission set you're doing. Um, and if it's like an air air to ground mission, you know, one of our, our more complex missions. I mean, you're going to start mission planning uh, the day before. Um, you know, figuring out, you know, who's who you're flying with. You know, what the mission is, what position are you flying, one, two, three, or four, what airspace you're going to, what are the airspace times, do you have a refueler, like being in South Dakota, we have uh, Sioux City that has KC-135s, we have Lincoln that has KC-135s, uh, McConnell, McConnell, Kansas City has 135s, so uh, Wisconsin has one, so bottom line, we have, we have tanker units everywhere, so most of our um, sorties will have access to a tanker, um, which is also good for part-timers because then you can make that, you can count two sorties in one flight, uh, which is, uh, which is a good deal too. But anyway, you plan all this stuff, uh, you pick targets, you know, pick what your target area is, what weapon you want to train on for the day. And, uh, then you'll, depending on what position you're flying, like the flight lead is going to brief that mission. So that all took place the day before the next day you show up. Uh, you know, brief usually starts, you know, 7.20, 7.30 in the morning, depending on, um, you know, what's going on. The brief is usually an hour long and you got all your flight mates in there. If it's an opposed ride and you have red air, you know, bat, you know uh, other F-16s that are going to replicate adversaries um, that you're going to have to deal with. They're going to be in there. You'll do an initial cord briefing, you know, just talk about who's going to be when and where and how to deconflict and all that stuff. Um, so that's, that's about, that takes about an hour, hour and 10 minutes. Um, then you'll go, uh, get dressed, put all your flight support, um, equipment on G suit, parachute harness, you know, LPU, your light preserver deal. If you got it, um, go to the step desk, get a step brief from the, the supervisor of flying. Who's got SA on the weather, airspace, aircraft status, any last minute changes to, you know, tanker fallout or, you know, whatever, um, he'll brief you, you'll go out to the jet and, uh, usually step, you know, 45 minutes before takeoff, um, go through all your ground checks and, and everything blast off. And like I said, go fly, go fly the sortie, like for near the ground sortie, um, a mission like that, your hour, hour and a half ish, you know, less, usually less than two hour flight. Um, come back, land, go get undressed, only grab a bite to eat and then we go go back and start reviewing everything is recorded 
uh, in the jet, your HUD's recorded, your MFDs, you know, your little TVs above your knees are recorded. Um, and uh, you can download, like the, the jet will record its maneuvers and stuff too. And you can pair that with everybody else that's out there flying. So you can recreate the whole mission in 3D uh, and play it back, you know, in front of wow. all the pilots. And so it takes a while to download all that stuff. You look at your shots. Every bomb that you dropped, every missile you, you shot, you you recheck it to make sure it was valid. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you meet and debrief. And then uh, you basically pick apart the entire <clears throat> sortie. You got your objectives on the board. Um, you'll get to the end, you'll grade those, and you'll look and be like, well, and did we meet our objective? Yes. If not, usually it's, it's no, uh, because they're just – you know, there, there's usually an, an area of focus in the, in the story that uh, that didn't go as planned. And just with, with this day and age, with everything being with limited resources and, you know, aircraft availability and um, all that stuff, like you really have to pick apart the entire sortie and then gather all that information that you can so you don't make it again on your next one. Yeah. So I know that that whole process can take, you know, it's usually at least an hour, uh, but some of the more complex rides, and if it's a, it's a, if it's an upgrade ride, you know, you got a younger wingman in, in the sortie. I mean, it, it can take three, four hours. So I mean, it's it's a, uh, you, you know, you, you take a, you can take a full ten hour day, and an hour and a half of that is is flying the aircraft. Unbelievable! I'm blown away so, by what you just said. Yeah. It, 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 <clears throat> brought that up at the beginning of the interview saying you have 1500 hours well dude that's right. thousands and thousands of hours of debriefing and and, and preparation and everything yep. that, it's insane so you must i mean i'm i've been flying for 20 plus years and i'm blown away by what you just said uh, the amount so when you go to flight safety for a type rating on a corporate jet is this like, like so easy <laughs> <laughs> Just, well, yeah. we think it's easy too, but you must be like, this is a joke, guys. We just yeah. sign the and paper. Then, <laughs> and then you doing your corporate job now, you know, when you just fly from Sioux City to Fort Lauderdale, sit for four hours and fly back, you must think this is, and you're getting paid for it. It's just like the easiest thing you've ever done in your life. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it for sure is. And it's, it's almost to the point where I have to fight complacency. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Cause I'm used to doing all this stuff and now I can actually sit there and look out the window. And, um, but I mean, there's still obviously with today's aircraft, they're very advanced and there's a lot of regulations out there and like, uh, me being like, so I've flown single pilot my entire career, you know, all 6,000 hours. I have, you know, pretty much zero, zero crew CRM type of experience, SIC type stuff. So, um, and that's kind of one of the, you know, I, I, I like, I like doing that because I, you know, I'm, I take care of final my own flight plans and fuel and, you know, aircraft maintenance. And like, I, I do it all uh, myself or I mean, that's kind of different with the airlines and whatnot. But I mean, that's just, that's what I've done my entire career. And um, just the foundation that, you know, flying a single seat fighter is, is really, um, it, you know, it's made me a, just a really good corporate pilot, especially dealing with emergencies and stuff like that. Cause you're used to dealing with that stuff by yourself. So you just, you know, I've been able to, to carry that stuff forward, and um, it's 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 hard to explain. You know, everything I've, I've learned over the you know the course of my 
my tactical aviation career, but uh, it's definitely um, definitely made me uh, prepared over prepared me for for this. Um, yeah, we never. I don't think we actually career. said in the interview explicitly. We're we're going pretty long now, but yeah. So when you weren't flying, you know, doing this for the guard, you were. Um, that's how we know each other. You were managing a premier jet up there, which was one of my specialties. And you yep. somehow found me, and I would come up and fly when you weren't available. But now you're uh, you're full blown aircraft management company. You say you have three aircraft you're managing now. Uh, I have five actually. Oh, um, C- oh. CJ four. Well, oh, you have uh, three premieres, is what you were three saying. Three premieres. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Nice. So, the CJ. What'd you say? A CJ what? CJ four. Yep. I'm flying one of those now too myself. Yep. I'm liking it a lot yep. better. That thing's gonna be uh, taking over the premier market, I think. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a very capable aircraft. Yes. You don't have all the the issues you do with the with the premieres. So. Right. Um. But uh. Yeah, and then. In addition to that, obviously, I fly and manage uh, those five. And then I have one guy that's kind of full-time, flies up the Premier and then the TBM for me. I do use a contract guy, pretty regular guy, out of, uh, out of Tulsa. And then um, there's a handful of aircraft that I uh, fly on a contract basis, too. Like, for for example, today, you know, I'm in Dallas. I flew an M2 down here uh, yesterday for, you know, just strictly as a, as a contractor and, and going back here this afternoon. So... Uh, there's yeah i was just in mckinney two days ago oh yeah I spent the yeah, night down there right where you're at but uh, yep. <laughs> i've so. done so many initials in dallas when somebody asks if i've ever been there i i just say yeah i used to live there <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so oh man but, wow uh, what, what a story man i don't know aaron i i i don't know i i'm uh I'm so jealous of that whole fighter. I, I remember that from when I was in the Air Force. The B1 <laughs> guys, they would they would sit there and talk about what they're going to do for five or six hours, go out and fly for an hour, and then come <clears> back <throat> and sit and talk about it for three or four more hours. I remember yep. that was confusing to me. You know, it, you know, I was in flight training at the time, going over the Rapid City Regional Airport there and flying a Cessna. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking, why are these guys, what are they going to talk about? This, this is ridiculous. Just go fly. Yep. But um, the getting in an airplane like the F-16 and just being able to yank and bank and crank on that thing, knowing that I'm in a machine that will break me before I'm able to break it is just, yep, exactly. man, that would be so yeah, much fun. The, the, the human is, is definitely the, the limiting factor um, right. in that craft. And it's, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing like it. So, yeah. But I know it can go Mach 2. What's the top speed that you've done? And uh, in, in, have you done Mach 2? No, I think the, the highest I ever got was 1.6. Uh, at that uh, uh, at that speed, are you burning fuel like freaking crazy? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, well, you're always burning fuel like crazy compared to, you know, the, the jets were flying. But, uh, you know, it all depends on how the aircraft is configured. Um, you know, in a combat configured F-16 with external fuel tanks, tarting pod, uh, ECM pod, you know, a, uh, a combination of air-to-air missiles and, and some sort of bombs, like you're you're limited to like 550 knots and, and 0.95 Mach. So you can't go supersonic uh, in that configuration. Um, there's, a, there's a button in the jet that you push that, it drops, it drops all that stuff off and, you know, 
um, if you were to get in a, a dog fight with bombs on, you would hit that button and now you can, the aircraft is more maneuverable, but. Uh, yeah, how much time you, know, you got without those external tanks? I mean, that thing doesn't look like it holds any fuel without those big ass tanks attached to the wings. Yeah. I mean, you, you got about, you know, 7,000 pounds, so about a thousand gallons internal. Um, and the center line tank is a 300 gallons and that's good for, so at full log, that's gone. You can't, even, you probably don't even want to touch that afterburner, uh, with, no, nope. uh, you don't. Yeah. No, well, what's yeah, the we, fuel burn with the afterburner on? Uh, you're, you're at, in South Dakota. Um, you're about 55,000 pounds per hour. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, to put that in perspective, what, what, the jets, Mike and I fly, are about 2,000 pounds an hour. And you just said yeah. 55,000 pounds. It, it, That's when you're more doing fuel mod- than the average human burns in their car in 10 years, I would think. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> when you're doing Mach 1.6, what altitude are you at? Uh, so that was uh, I was down in Key West. Um, nice. And uh, I, was, I was right at the top of the airspace. I was like at 49,990 uh, feet. Um, and, uh, you know, like I so said, we, we, you don't get to do that stuff very often, but you know, I was, I was a red air. So I was, I was replicating, you know, one of our, our Chinese or Soviet adversaries and um, stuff like that. So I was called a, a high fast flyer and, um, I was at the back of the airspace and I was like, well, that was high as I could go. I was like, we'll see how fast I can go. And I mean, up there, honestly, the, the jet does not fly very well. They're so thin, you got these little stubby wings, um, the, you know, the engine is, it's got a lot of thrust, but I mean, you're just, you're, you're not very tactical up there, but I just lit the afterburner and accelerated um, and got to, I think got 1.6 mod before I, we we knocked it off for for something, but it was, it's funny uh, because my, my wingman, he was like a low striker. So he was, you know, probably, you know, around a thousand feet above the water. And I was at, damn near 50,000 feet and i i said in the radio i was like i was like hey too you're you're 6.9 miles below me right <laughs> so it was it was kind of one of those, awesome. those deals you get to Aaron, I, while you have a little fun i think i already know the answer to this question i'm just trying to think of things that um i just came up with this one uh, thinking of things our viewers if they were on here, would want to ask you, and I think I got one here. When you okay. watch the movie, you know, Top Gun, Top Gun 2, Iron Eagle, you watch these movies, Fighter Jet. Well, let's just stick with Top Gun 2 because I think they tried to uh, do that as good as they could. Yep. You, you watch that and you're like, oh, yeah, this is badass. Or you watch it and you're like, this thing's all bullshit. <laughs> the, first, the, first, the first Top Gun is – is is hard to watch or well, i mean just coming from that career field you know but it's i mean if you were to make a movie how how an actual mission goes like it would be boring it would be too you know, boring nobody, to watch nobody would want to watch it you're not gonna you know we, we never fly that close you know we're all, always in a tactical formation um so it, you know but i thought this the second top gun was actually like the scenario was was actually uh what i thought a pretty realistic scenario which i could see um, you know, I, a, a, a squadron getting tasked to do, you know, with the, the surface air missiles and low level ingress and, um, basically a pop attack delivering a, a laser guided bomb with a, with a buddy lays, uh, type delivery. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's a, 
definitely some stuff that's that's far fetched in in fiction. But like uh, stealing the old F fourteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that was <laughs> that uh, kind of made me chuckle and stuff. But um, yeah, it it it's. I mean, that that's definitely something I could I could see um, see a training to, which you know I'm I'm I, I'm all about the realistic. This, you know, you know, stuff like that, and I, I thought uh, that was it's put together pretty well. See, right. I thought I thought they would come up with a way if it was real life. Um, I like all the low level stuff, you know, through the canyon and whatnot. But I just figured yep. we would we would use a different weapon system to take out the sams <clears throat> on the ridges, and then do whatever we wanted to, you know, take this thing out. You know, no, yep. yeah, absolutely. And uh, but this yeah, is I, a movie I, about I, jet pilots and jet airplanes, so what? They're yep. not going to make the movie like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. You bet. All right. Bet. Well, we've been on, Mike. You got any other anything else for him? I mean, we've yeah, been on I, here I, a I while. Was the Top Gun question. So that's great. No, oh, I, you I, were? Honestly, I could talk another hour, but yeah, really, we, very interesting. It's just. Yep. I, I can't thank you enough. I'm sure the viewers are going to get just a lot out of this. Uh, everybody dreams of being a fighter pilot. You've kind of laid out the path and and showed what it takes. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm very interested in some of the things that you talked about and how it applies to corporate aviation. So uh, by all means, thank you, uh, Aaron, for coming on. I mean, this is very valuable. Yeah, just amazing yeah. stuff. It, real quick, I've been asking every one of our guess this that we've had not that we've had a whole bunch but yep. um if you had you know one piece of advice you could give somebody maybe they're not even really chasing down being a fighter pilot maybe they just want to be a pilot you know that aspiring aviator that kid in school right now the kid that just took his third flight lesson you know from from everything you've been through your experience in this industry you got any advice you would give a young person wanting to chase this thing down? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you, you just got to work for it. Like there's, there's no, there's no easy outs. There's, there's no shortcuts. Um, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a grind and it's, it's something that like I prepared for, for years um, with, you know, obviously setbacks. I, you know, I talked about, about some of them, what I, what I didn't talk about, was I actually broke my leg like pretty bad snowmobiling before from the time I commissioned in November to the time I left for pilot training in, in April. Oof, so you're thinking, great, like, I, I got here and now I blew it, you know? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I did all this work. I got a slot. I'm supposed to leave in a couple months and like I'm laying on the operating table with my, my bones sticking out of my leg. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was just like, well, you know, there, there's gotta be a way through this, you know, and I'll do whatever I have to do to, to get through it and, you know, make, make the best of it. And it turned out not to, not to really be an issue, you know, but, uh, um, it's just, it's just, you just got to work for it. And it's, it's tough, but the good news is there's a lot of resources out there, you know, um, people have done it like, like me, uh, people at it that are in the process of doing it right now. And like, I, I was just a, an information sponge. Like I, I just, you know, scoured the, the internet. I talked to everybody that I could about, you know, I remember going to an air show, you know, and off it when I was, you know, a young kid and the blue angels were there. And that's the first time I, you know, had, had seen them, but I talked to, and they had F-15 on static display. And I remember talking to a, talking to him about, you know, not, 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 not like how fast it can go. Like it was more, 
like, how do I get to be you? Like, like that's mm. the approach that I, that I took or that's how bad I wanted it. And, um, so, I mean, there's, and I'm not, I'm not the, the greatest pilot out there. I'm not, the, I'm definitely not the smartest. I mean, that was one thing about the careers. I I've been humbled so many, so many times by people that are, are better pilots than me or, or smarter than me. And, but at the same time, it's like, well, you know, I, I got to get better and it made me a better, um, aviator as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm not God's gift of flying by any means. Like I, I just wanted it more than, you know, anybody else did. And, um, you know, and here I am. So when I, I did it and I do it all over again and it's, it's easy to give up uh, at certain points of time, but you just got to ask yourself how bad you want it. And, um, you, you get to this point in your career and you're going to look back and it doesn't matter, you know, you're, you're going to be, you're going to tell yourself it was, it was worth it. You know, every, every bit of it. So, yeah, I guess that's, that's great advice. Yeah. All right. Yes. Great advice. Thank you, Aaron, so much for doing this. Yeah. This no, is, thank you guys. I think, I think, I think what you're, what you're doing yeah, is people is, are going to uh, like this. People are going to get value from this. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. Glad I could, glad I could help. And that's kind of where, you know, I'm at in my careers, I just, you know, how I can give back to the aviation community. Cause a lot of people reached out and, and did a lot of, a lot of great things for me and, and helped me along the way. And, um, yeah, yeah. That's exactly why this platform exists right now. We're all talking on Mike and I felt the yep. same way. It's why we created the ProPod playbook. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great, great idea. Great program. And I'm uh, anxious to see where, where it goes for you guys. All Thanks right. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us right. folks. We'll be back next week with another one. Leave comments, like share, subscribe, and uh, get to the airport, start flying.